Today on Blue 58, as we continue our recap of the 2020 season, we've arrived at what could be the low point of the regular season schedule. Does the Packers' midseason loss to the Vikings make any more sense in hindsight? We'll discuss that, but first take a couple listener questions on free agency so far. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We have a lot to get to today, some of which uh, includes some developing news out of Chicago. The Bears have elected to part ways with cornerback Kyle Fuller, and we will touch on his connection to the Packers here in just a little bit. We'll also touch on the Packers' Week 8 loss to the Vikings, their Week 9 win over the 49ers, and their Week 10 win over the Jaguars as well. So let's dive right in. Edward asks via YouTube, at what point do we address the drop-off the Packers are looking at in pass protection in the offensive line? The Packers are going to start with the, the 2021 season with without three of their top pass rushers at their respective positions in David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, and Jamal Williams. How is Aaron Rodgers going to be able to do half of what the Green Bay offense did last year without that elite pass protection he had last season? Good question, I think. As to when the Packers themselves are going to address it, I think you're looking at the draft. I I think we're probably past the point where we're going to sign any premier free agents this year, and even so, the the sort of free agent they would need is probably a tackle, and that's probably going to be pretty expensive. They have kicked the tires on a couple free agent centers. I don't think that solves as many problems for them as drafting a tackle would, because that gives them, I think, a little bit more flexibility, and we'll get to why in a second. But first to Edward's question in particular, this is a very real concern and should not be downplayed. Just as a for instance, 80% of the Packers' 2020 Week 1 starting offensive line will not be starting for the Packers in Week 1 of 2021. You get a minor allowance there for Rick Wagner since he wasn't their real preferred starter at right tackle anyway. It would have been Billy Turner if they had their druthers, but uh, David Bakhtiari is probably going to be out of the lineup recovering from his ACL. Elton Jenkins is going to be around, but Corey Lindsley is going to be gone. Lane Taylor is going to be gone. And even if he was, you know, still around, there'd be some turnover involving Rick Wagner. And he's out the door and probably isn't going to play in 2021. Anyway, at the very least, even if Rick Wagner was there, that's still a lot of turnover to deal with. Edward also wisely points out that Jamal Williams is a big part of what the Packers do in pass protection. He is their their third down pass blocking back, you know, protecting Aaron Rodgers when they've got four or five receivers in a pattern running a deep route. Just being there as a re- reliable pass catcher too, uh, that was a big part of his game. Comparing Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, well, you see there really is no comparison. Just looking at pro football focus pass blocking grades, Throwing some numbers at you real quick. In the four years of his career so far, Aaron Jones has had a cumulative pass blocking grade of 46.3, 87.6, 67.5, and 39.1 from 2017 to the present. Jamal Williams has had grades of 89.5, 76.6, 87.3, and 58.5. So both of them take a little bit of a dip in 2020. But generally speaking, Jamal Williams is an elite pass blocking back when asked to do it, and Aaron Jones is fair to Midland. That's really not his game to begin with, and when he's asked to do it, he's just okay at it. 
And really, he's probably not going to end up in that situation all that often. So all these people are out the door, except for Aaron Jones, as we talked about last time around. Uh, All these people are gone. How do the Packers offset that? On the offensive line, like I said, they're probably looking at at least one draft pick, probably multiple ones. I think early in the draft, you're probably looking to get the best tackle available. That gives you options as to what to do with Billy Turner. You can keep him on the outside, bump him to left tackle, start him at right tackle, or move him inside at whatever guard spot you want to shore up. It gives you a fairly flexible starting offensive line. Your your line left to right probably looks something like this. Billy Turner or a rookie at left tackle, John Runyon at left guard, bump Elton Jenkins inside since you've got options at guard and he can really stabilize things in the middle there. Lucas Patrick at right guard and uh, Billy Turner or a rookie at right tackle. You can go either way depending on what your rookie is best suited for. As someone pointed out last time around, we talked about the offensive line. We also can't completely count out Simon Stepanak, you know, a longtime starter at a Big Ten program, a year removed plus from a knee injury. He may be in the mix on the offensive line. He's got some size advantages over Lucas Patrick. He's probably a little bit stronger than Lucas Patrick. Give him a shot. You never know. I don't really have a preference with Billy Turner at left tackle or right tackle in that scenario. I think generally you probably want him on the right side. It's going to depend what your rookie can do. In the backfield, stuff gets complicated. And recognizing that we're a ways out here, there's going to be some personnel moves in the meantime. This is not something you have to have fixed in March, but it's worth thinking about. The real question here is who's the third down back for the Packers? Third down backs are going to be your pass catcher, your pass blocker. That's not Aaron Jones. That's not A.J. Dillon. The person who ultimately ends up filling this role may not even be on the roster right now. But let's say they are, and let's get crazy for a second. Assuming he's back from his ACL injury at full strength to start next season, your third down back might be Josiah DeGuara. Now, I know you're going to say, well, he's a tight end. He's not a tight end. He's at the very least the F position in uh, Matt LaFleur's offense. He is much closer to a fullback than he is a tight end. And the Packers have used fullbacks in that spot before. John Kuhn did it for a long time as the Packers third down back before they got Eddie Lacy involved. Uh, they've used Aaron Ripkowski there. And to tell you you know, what they thought of the backs they had on their roster, they had Aaron Ripkowski playing actual running back snaps on third downs at times. So I wouldn't rule out having a fullback type player in the lineup there. And I know that's McCarthy era stuff, but I, I just don't think it's impossible. Whatever solution you end up with, though, we should not forget about this issue. Pass blocking is going to be something the Packers have to shore up between now and the start of the season, and figuring out how they do it is is going to be a big challenge. Via Discord, Serb Packer asks, what do the Packers actually do in the cornerback market? I see other teams working on the deals. Kevin King is still on our roster. He's still on the roster on Packers.com. His contract has expired, just as an aside. Before free agency, it was a sure bet that we were going to pursue cornerback on the free agent market for a short-term solution. And if then in the draft we grab a good cornerback, we'll get him. So I guess just to answer this question, just remember that free agency isn't over yet. The Packers still have some work to do with restructures. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is kind of a piggy bank for the Packers. They can restructure him at any time and uh, free up a bunch of cap space. Extending Devontae Adams would free up a little bit more. Releasing Dean Lowry would free up a little bit more. And they're probably going to have to do a couple of those things 
if they want to create space to get their draft class signed and sign a free agent if they want to. And I wouldn't necessarily assume that silence means inactivity either because the Packers are aware of what's going on behind the scenes that we don't even see. And a perfect example of that is the news breaking out of Chicago late today that Kyle Fuller has been released by the Chicago Bears. And this is especially interesting for the Packers for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the Packers could use a cornerback, and Kyle Fuller happens to be a pretty good one. Secondly, Kyle Fuller is only really getting released right now because of something the Packers did a long, long time ago. Let's take you back to the spring of 2018. The Bears labeled Kyle Fuller a draft pick for them way back in, well, four years prior to 2018, so 2014, 2013 maybe. It doesn't really matter. His contract had expired, and uh, they had labeled him as their transition player. It's like a franchise tag in that it gives the player in question, a guaranteed contract for the upcoming season, but that player can still take contract offers from other teams, and his original team has an opportunity to match. And someone came calling, at least two teams, in fact. Two teams tried to offer Kyle Fuller a contract, and he accepted, signed the Packers' offer sheet of a four-year, $56 million contract. Ultimately, the Bears matched that contract, But as it turns out, it got too rich for their blood as they experienced a bit of a cap crunch here in the year 2021. And now Kyle Fuller is on the free agent market. The Packers need a cornerback. There's a good one available. And it just so happens to be a guy who has actually signed with the Packers before. This is why you have to take it kind of day by day in free agency. Yes, the Packers haven't done anything early. But the people who are winning free agency early are probably not going to be winning a whole lot this fall. You really think the New England Patriots are a whole lot better now than they were last week, having signed Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry and a couple other people. Montrevious Adams just ended up in New England today. Don't get concerned about winning free agency. Be concerned with getting the right fits and the right values for their team. That's what Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball are trying to do. And thanks to Russ Ball and Brian Gutekunst's actions in the past, the Packers now have a chance at a pretty darn good cornerback in Kyle Fuller. Also via Discord, user Ray Pei Say Bay, I've never actually said his name out loud or her name, I actually don't know, uh, and it doesn't really matter, Uh, but he says, the user says, listening to the game recaps of 2020, the series we've been doing, has me curious about your thoughts overall on assessing the COVID year. I'm trying to transport myself back to these weeks and remembering how intensely strange they felt. Over time, I got used to it in a way, but that whole year still feels very unfootball to me. Do you give it an asterisk at all? Just wondering. But thinking about this a little bit as we've gone through our game-by-game recap of 2020, taking a look down memory lane and and remembering back um, to what it felt like to watch these games at the time. For me looking at dates and and when games happen and thinking about what I was doing at that particular time is very rewarding. I was just having this conversation with a friend the other day. We were talking about the 1996 Packers and there's one play from their season highlight tape that year that always sticks out in my mind. It's Don Beebe returning a kickoff for the touchdown against the Chicago Bears. And I can remember so much about that day. October 6th, 1996. It was a brilliantly beautiful fall day in Wisconsin. We had come home from church 
we had had our Jack's Pizza self-rising crust for lunch. We sat down to watch the Packers, the noon kick, and the Packers were running away with it in the first half. And as we often do, we went outside and played football out in our backyard at halftime, and we got so engrossed in our game that we missed the start of the second half. And what do you know, at the start of the second half, Don Beebe returns the opening kickoff. My mom comes running out of the house, uh, tells us what happens, and we run inside just in time to see a replay. I always remember that play because I remember the circumstances around it as much as the game itself. And so there's been a little bit of that going back through these games. Remember these circumstances. Remember what it was like to watch these games amidst a pandemic. For me, it's a welcome distraction. Working from home was uh, a challenge. Got a toddler running around, didn't get a whole lot of work done during the football season. But as far as the, the product on the field, I don't give it really an asterisk at all. I think in some ways it's it's more impressive that the teams were able to do as much as they did. Working week by week on Packers content, one of the things that I did for Acme Packing Company was um, interact with uh, our opposing counterpart every week. So we did a Q&A blog uh, with a blogger from whatever team we happen to be playing this week. And, and one of the things that came up week after week after week from these opposing team bloggers is why do you think Aaron Rodgers is playing so much better in 2020? Is it because they drafted Jordan Love? Is it something else? Blah, blah, blah. And I would always make the joke that you can never rule out spite with Aaron Rodgers. So maybe it was the fact that they drafted Jordan Love that has him playing so much better. But a big reason I think the Packers did so well in 2020 was because of the way the offseason went. So they couldn't meet in person all offseason long. They had a weird training camp. But Aaron Rodgers spoke again and again and again about how much he enjoyed and appreciated having the extra time in the classroom to figure out exactly what they needed to do to make the offense succeed. That, coming off a year in Matt LaFleur's system, I think had as much to do with his great year as anything else. Just was so prepared. And I don't think they would have had that with the pandemic. That's why I don't downgrade their performance in the pandemic at all. Sure, it felt weird, but they still had to go out and play the games. And everybody else was dealing with the same challenges too. In fact, I think the Packers should get as much credit or more as anybody else, given how the situation was with the virus in Wisconsin for much of the season, keeping themselves safe, keeping themselves healthy. There were really no major outbreaks on the Packers, though we will talk about a minor one in this episode. Uh, They got through the entire season basically with their roster intact. Now, they did... Lose Jared Veld here at a really inopportune time. But other than that, it really was not a big factor for them. So playing on challenge mode, the Packers came out and had a 13-3 and season. Their quarterback won an MVP. I don't put an asterisk next to that. I think that's an accomplishment that the Packers should celebrate for a long time. Speaking of celebrating... Awkward transition here. The Vikings were doing a lot of celebrating after their Week 8 win over the Packers at Lambeau Field. Continuing our recap of these games of the 2020 season, we are asking three questions of each of these games. First and foremost, what happened? Second, did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? And third, 
What did we forget about this game? First and foremost, what happened? Well, let's call this game the game of long drives in the wind. 23 miles per hour, steady wind, according to Pro Football Reference, and it's sometimes much higher than that in Wisconsin that Sunday afternoon. Lots of long, long drives. Here's how that game opened. The first four drives of the game. Packers take the opening kickoff and march on a 13-play, 75-yard drive for a touchdown. The Vikings respond with a 10-play, 73-yard drive for a touchdown of their own. The Packers bounce back with a 15-play, 72-yard drive for a touchdown uh, to take the lead, 14-7. Then the Vikings come right back with a 12-play, 67-yard touchdown drive. And then it was halftime. That's right. Four drives, four touchdowns, halftime. And after the half, the Packers kind of fell apart. Their efforts in the third quarter included a 10-play, 31-yard drive, which is wild and hilarious, being removed from it a couple months. Vikings also plotted down for another long touchdown drive. Ultimately, Packers end up falling to the Vikings um, as Aaron Rodgers was hit on a late, deep pass attempt, fumbles the ball, the Vikings recover and come away with the win. Ultimately, I think this is the consummate surprised by the obvious game. The Vikings came in. Everyone knew they were going to run outside zone and run play action. And what did they do? They came in and ran outside zone with Dalvin Cook and carved up the Packers with play action. Dalvin Cook ran 30 times for 163 yards and scored three touchdowns. Kirk Cousins was 11 of 14 passing for 160 yards and a touchdown. Woof. Disappointing. Frustrating. Just bad all around. So did anything emerge from this game then that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? Not from this game in particular, but this is just the kind of peak example of one of the worst trends of the Packers' defense in 2020. Just them having their, their opponents having one specific thing that they wanted to do and just doing it again and again and again and again to the Packers. And that, as much as anything, is probably what got Mike Pettin not fired, but just made parting ways with him easy. As good as the Packers' defense, as well as the Packers' defense played late in the season, they were pretty awful at times through the early and middle portions of the season. And a lot of it was because they just couldn't figure out what to take away from the opposing team that you absolutely knew was coming from the opposing team. In terms of what we forgot about this game, it really just comes down to how sloppy the Packers were top to bottom. Holding penalties on Mercedes Lewis and Elton Jenkins. Jair Alexander getting a defensive pass interference. A couple of drops. Equinemia St. Brown, in, in particular, dropped it twice. As far as good stuff, A.J. Dillon got his first real noteworthy action in this game. Five carries, 21 yards, one catch for 16 yards. Not too bad. So the Packers, coming off that loss, have to turn right around and get down to work on Thursday night football. They've got a Thursday night game, and heading into the 2020 season, you had to have this one circled on your calendar. The Packers lost in brutal fashion to the San Francisco 49ers twice in 2020. 2019, excuse me. So a Thursday night primetime game on the road in San Francisco, that's going to be a big game. That's going to be a scary game. you got to go to San Francisco Take care of business against a very, very good team and make sure you don't get run off the field again. So what happens? Well, first and foremost, half the 49ers got injured. And then 
the 49ers, already banged up by injuries, had a bit of a COVID situation, and so did the Packers. Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon tested positive and did not play. And even with those two out, the Packers were overwhelming favorites in this game, favored by six points. And look, the Packers were supposed to win this game, and they did, and it ended up feeling a lot like a preseason game. To that end, John Lovett had three carries, Dexter Williams had two carries and also got hurt, Oren Burks had six tackles, playing a lot of snaps, Stanford Samuels played one of the two games in which he played, and the Packers come away with a 34-17 to win that's not even really that close. This game was 31-3 to after the third quarter, and the 49ers get a couple garbage-time touchdowns that don't really matter if that leaves a bad taste in your mouth. I suppose I understand that. But really, this game was in control from the word go. Aaron Rodgers, sharp. Devontae Adams, sharp. Aaron Jones, doing just enough. Tyler Irvin getting some carries. Hey, you were going to beat the 49ers, and you did. So did anything emerge from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline? Well, this was the first game with A.J. Dillon actually on the shelf, and he ended up staying there for quite a while in the 2020 season. And really, this is the start, I guess, of the stretch that all but ruined his rookie season. We're never going to know an answer to this. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, much like I, I believe we're going to get with uh, with Alan Lazard eventually. We're going to sit down with A.J. Dillon, and he's going to tell us, yeah, that COVID stuff, it was it really really messed me up. I was in bad shape there for a while. He was out for more than a month. He played in the Minnesota game uh, and didn't play again, didn't get significant snaps, didn't get a single snap on offense again until the Carolina game in week 14. So he goes from November 1st until the middle of December before he is back on the field again. What did we forget about this game then? Honestly, I think you probably forgot most of it. This is going to be one of those games, a lot like probably the Texans game and maybe the Jaguars game here in a second, that you're going to look back a couple years from now and be like, the Packers did what? Even now, like if you're scrolling Facebook or Twitter or whatever and you see the Packers post some highlights, um, I, I will see Devontae Adams going deep for a touchdown against the San Francisco 49ers down the sidelines. And I have to stop and think, when did that game happen? Because that didn't happen in 2019. He didn't get any deep touchdowns in that game. Certainly didn't have any neat toe tappers in the end zone. When was that game? That was last season. My gosh. Huh. But every so often, there's just games like that. And this is one of those games. Before we get to Week 10 and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I want to take a second and shout out some of our Patreon supporters. Today, we're tipping our hats to Lee Gens, Bo Gosmer, and Richard Biddle. Each of these individuals has been supporting us on Patreon since 2000. 18, and we appreciate their support. If you are inclined to support us there as well, I would be ever so grateful if you did. That is how we keep this show and thepowersweep.com completely ad-free, and I think that is the best way for it to be. And I appreciate uh, each of the listeners who have chosen to support us in that way. If you do choose to support us, you get access to special bonus content on patreon.com. You get access to our Patreon-specific Discord server in which you can hang out with me and other Packers fans and just have a good time talking about our favorite team. So patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Consider supporting us there. Week 10, the Packers welcome the Jaguars to Lambeau Field. Look, no style points in this one. From our post-game podcast, I was not happy. One simple question. 
I laid out in my post-game notes, who got what they wanted in this game. The Packers wanted a win, sure, and they got one. But the Jaguars wanted a loss, too. At least the Jaguars fans that I talked to. Jaguars fans got a competitive, feisty team that gave a good effort against one of the contenders in the NFC, on the road, in bad weather. Hey, I don't know what else you want. And with the benefit of hindsight, I I really don't feel like my opinion on this game has changed all that much. One of the key features of the Mike, Mike McCarthy era, especially the late Mike McCarthy era, was playing down to teams. That's probably what got him fired. Had the Packers not lost to the Cardinals or had the Packers not really just laid a, uh, an egg against um, the Cardinals in late 2000. 18, Mike McCarthy probably coaches out that year, and then the Packers part ways in the offseason. But the Packers just came out that day and just had no energy. They knew they were going nowhere, and they went nowhere, and the Cardinals outplayed them. This is one of the few examples, I think, in the Matt, or the, uh, the Matt LaFleur era of the Packers just playing down to a team. I think the Vikings were actually pretty good. If nothing else, they've got some good pieces. Dalvin Cook's good. Kirk Cousins is adequate as a quarterback, frequently adequate. He can he can execute a game plan. Uh, he's he's better than Jake Luton, which is the guy the Jaguars rolled out, who's a real person, I assure you. The Vikings are pretty good. Mike Zimmer's a good coach. The Panthers, too, if you look at how the Packers played them late in the season, were a lot better than people gave them credit for. The Packers beat up on the Falcons and 49ers, who were bad, but the Packers were supposed to handle them. The Jaguars, though, were not good. The Packers played badly against them and went into the fourth quarter trailing the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Packers in this game did all the sloppy things that let bad teams stick around. They allowed a punt return for a touchdown, one of two on the season. They had a sloppy interception from Aaron Rodgers on a crossing route, really uncharacteristic. Devontae Adams, fumbled, turned over the ball deep in Packers territory. All in all, the Packers probably lucky to escape with the win. They managed to kind of steal victory from the jaws of defeat. And, you know, that's something that good good teams do as well. But it's kind of sad that it came to that. Other than special teams really being an issue, I don't think anything really emerged from this game that ended up being a long-term storyline except for something that you may have forgotten about this game. David Bakhtiari signed his contract overnight, his big contract extension that's going to keep him a Packer through the balance of his career. Really, probably, I don't know for sure, but that's what it seems like. Uh, So that was a big factor, not in this game in particular, but it was a a big storyline moment at this point in the season. Also in this game, Marquez Valdez-Scantling scores another big old touchdown, 78 yards this time, back-to-back weeks for MBS with a 50-plus yard touchdown, having scored one the week prior against the San Francisco 49ers. All in all, good that the Packers escaped with the win, but boy, one of their uglier wins of the 2020 season. Next time on Blue 58, we get into the latter half of the Packers' schedule as they start to think about things like playoff positioning. They'll head to Indianapolis to take on the Colts. They'll host the Chicago Bears, and then they'll welcome the Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz to Lambeau Field in their first game in December of 2020. 
That is next time on Blue 58. For right now, that is all I've got for you, but I do appreciate you listening in, and I would appreciate it just as much if you would take a moment and share this episode with somebody you think would enjoy it. That's going to help us continue to grow our audience, get more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Packers, and ultimately help more people become smarter Packers fans, me included. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.